award-winning Tennessee Wildcast is on the air with the latest on hunting, fishing, boating, wildlife watching, and all things outdoors. Make welcome your host, drummer and outdoor expert novice, Jason Harmon. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of Tennessee Wildcast. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching, for listening. we got a great show lined up for you today, and we are at the Region 3 office. Yes, Region 3. Yeah, excited to be back. I'm happy to be here too, Jason. It's always fun. Uh, we always have a great time here. We got a great uh, studio here at Region 3 with all the animals you've got here in the lobby, so it's fun. It is fun. It's a great educational place. Come in and stop by if you're close. Yeah, stop by. All our regional offices are open. Stop by, say hi, get some information. Uh, our folks love to talk to you, so that's a, always a good stop. Yeah, come on in. Today is all about Alabama bass, which are a nuisance species yeah yikes huh so you hear bass you think well this is great bass but not the alabama bass no we're gonna learn alabama about it today. Bass. no we don't want it <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna learn about it today today we have mike jolly regional reservoir biologist here or manager here in um, region three and then we got cole hardy ans coordinator out of the nashville office and we're gonna chat today glad to have good. you guys good to be <laughs> here, here. Uh, Mike, you recently did a podcast uh, about this, yeah. and uh, Mimi approached me, and she's like, we should do one, too. I was like, yeah, we should. <laughs> so uh, go ahead and tout that. Who was, what show was that that you were on? That was on the uh, Southern Waters. Okay. Uh, yeah, and it was uh, went out nationwide, and it's a good opportunity, and getting the word out and educating the public is a key component, which is why I'm excited to be here today, because this is what we need to be doing, is educating the public about Alabama bass. Yeah, cool. So if you want to go check that out, go find that on, yep. on iTunes or podcasting platforms right. where, you, where you listen. Uh, same places you can find this show. I'm sure you can find that one. Mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, well, let's introduce, uh, let everybody introduce themselves. You want to start with Cole or Mike? Mamie, what do you think? I say Cole. I okay. know Mike. <laughs> yeah, this is the first day y'all met, right? Yes, it yeah. is. Actually, I'm so happy. Person. Yeah. Another, oh, another wow. person on the team. <laughs> Love it. Well, uh, my name's Cole Hardy. Like you said, I'm the Aquatic Nuisance Species Coordinator, uh, working out of the Nashville office. Uh, I've been here for almost three years, so, um, you know, just pretty new but uh time flies time time, time flies. does fly <laughs> so it's been an interesting uh, couple of years and i've been enjoying it um i went to school at tennessee tech so i'm not totally totally new to tennessee um <laughs> you just a, a roar went up across the <laughs> <Yeah>. state <laughs> yeah <laughs> they're like he's Especially, all right <laughs> i'm in the right region over here huh um you know i uh i work i don't know <laughs> if i'm jumping in too no, quick here, but uh, do a lot of work around the state uh, with our regional fisheries staff, um, you know, trying to emphasize, like Mike alluded to, uh, education and outreach, trying to make people aware of uh, nuisance and invasive fish uh, and aquatic organisms. So um, also do a lot of work with other other agencies and other states across the state. So, um, Yeah. <laughs> well, and Cole came from, you spent some time in Florida, and I said, that state has a high number of invasive species, oh, yeah. and I'm sure some of that turns into the work that you do here it, with Tennessee. It, it does, and, it, you know, I, I kind of got my start really in Iowa. I'm from Iowa. Uh, one of the first uh, kind of summer summer gigs I had was as an intern doing uh, ramp side interviews, mm. you know, seeing what people knew about invasive species and making sure they knew to clean, drain, and dry when they left the water wow. and stuff like that. So um, that, wow. going down to Florida, um, you know, invasive species 
all over down there, <laughs> unfortunately. But um, yeah, they're they're definitely a concern. They're something that's impacting our state and and states throughout the country, really. And um, you know, something that we're we're trying to prevent from spreading as much as we can. So yeah, and Mike. I know you well, but tell us a little. Tell, tell us your name. Tell us a little bit about yourself. And I, I know the great work you do in the region, but but don't be humble. Share it. Yeah. Well, thank you for the great introduction. Uh, and as Jason said, my name is Mike Jolly. Been uh, Region Three Reservoirs really my whole career. Uh, this fall will be 29 years uh, in the reservoir system. So, wow. what a great place to work. Region Three has all of the black bass records across the state. Mm. Uh, so that brings about a lot of attention from a lot of anglers and a lot of expectation. Um, also, a lot of diversity. Yeah. We have the Cumberland River systems and the Tennessee River systems, and no two reservoirs are alike. And so, this are I've got a great team. Um, and we have a lot of different monitoring systems that we use from electrofishing to krill surveys. Uh, also some ANS uh, work going on within the region as well. So um, it's a great place. And it's been a, it's been a great career. Yeah. I agree. So one of the questions that Jason and I marked down was, um, what do you enjoy about your work? Because, Cole, I got to say, aquatic use and species <laughs> is kind of depressing. Yeah. It sounds like you've been doing it for a long time. You I mean, know. <laughs> Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I have to try to keep my chin up. Right but what do you um, what do you enjoy about about working with aquatic nuisance species in the state of Tennessee? You know, we're we're really um, doing a lot to try and make a difference and and protect these resources that people care about. And I think that's, um, you know, when I hear people and uh, talking about uh, carp or something like that, and just aware of the problems that are that are out there and you know, pull up to a boat ramp and see people pulling stuff off of their trailer and making sure they're not dragging mm. it to a new place. That's nice. That can be rewarding because, you know, we we know that the messaging and things that we're getting out there is, is working. Um, I also like, you know, I've met a lot of people doing this, uh, working with a lot of uh, all of our surrounding states and uh, other agencies. So that's that's been pretty re rewarding, too, working with uh, just a lot of different people and and even our, you know, especially our own people. I'll throw that out there. We've got a lot of great people oh, across yeah. the region. So mm -hmm. it's it's been a, a awesome experience. So. Yeah, I'm always mm -hmm. so proud of our employees and my coworkers. They're fantastic. <laughs> Mike, Feel I the sing same. their praises all the time, but it's true. Um, yeah. And and it's genuine coming from me. I am I am proud of For the great sure. work. Yeah. Um, so Mike, I know <laughs> there are a lot of good things that happen in your day, not just yeah. the aquatic nuisance species side of it. But what do you enjoy about? I think the it's the opportunity, you know, to look at a resource. I mean, I grew up in Tennessee and grew up fishing um, and to learn so much about it through the years and just to see things evolve and realize that the, you know, the management of those species are very uh, intricate to the, the whole ecosystem and, and how they, you know, the sustainability. So I always keep a focus on that word in our name of our agency resources and manage for that but it's exciting to see regulations that have been in place for a time that have been successful um, you know positive feedback from the public uh, those things are exciting and they really spur you on you know in that positive direction that's a good point i mean you put regulations in place uh, to work over time not work tomorrow exactly you good know? point yeah, yeah. so yeah. that's cool that you that you get to sit back and watch that happen yeah over time yeah exactly. you know people say that back in the day was the heyday but i don't right now there's a lot of fish out there <laughs> yeah there is a lot of a lot, a lot of a lot of fish yeah, and, so. and because of some really good work that was done early on sure by, yeah by people a lot of it 
that uh, that good scientific piece of it too you know I watch the work being done I watch that science taking place and it, it is very exciting because we're a mission-based agency and a science-driven mm-hmm. agency right. and, and we want those two to melt together mm-hmm. and there they are out there doing it mm-hmm. so it's exciting it is <laughs> I know what my favorite part of your job is no, <laughs> we should ask that yeah uh, mm. well <clears throat> do you want to start with how ANS spreads, I guess, and, and then we'll get into the Alabama bass and uh, yeah, how it's gotten here and that kind of thing. So how, how, does, how does aquatic nuisance species spread across the state? Yeah, I'll talk just a little, a little bit of generalization here about aquatic nuisance species. So um, unfortunately, you know, some of the, the most frequent ways they're spread are by people. Um, you know, we see... Uh, if it's fish, it might be that uh, people think they're doing the right thing mm-hmm. for their favorite water body or something like that by uh, putting a fish in the live well and taking it from one place to another. And they think, they okay, they're going to stock and help uh, when in reality they might be, you know, moving a species that we don't want there that's mm-hmm. going to take over. It's going to introduce um, diseases or um, alter genetics to an existing population, and um, so that's that's a common way. Um, you know, even un- unintentionally, with uh, by not properly cleaning boats and equipment. So uh, we, like I said earlier, we like to tell people make sure you clean, drain, and dry your equipment between trips. So and you see that variation of aquatic nuisance species across the state of Tennessee do you see re, uh, kind of regional um, issues there absolutely are yep so um, I guess just to highlight a couple of them here real quick uh, you know over in western Tennessee we see invasive carp as a really primary issue and a focus for the agency right now um, move over here into into region three Alabama bass are certainly um, a, a priority mm-hmm. for us uh, as well as in region four in region four into the mountains a little bit you get some other issues uh with certain crayfish that are out there and things like diddy mo uh in some of the streams so um again i'm gonna, I'm gonna repeat repeat it over and over <laughs> clean drain and dry you know make sure if that you're pulling the boat out of the water that you're pulling plugs on the boat letting the water uh drain out because there can be microscopic organisms in there zebra mussel villagers mm-hmm. are a common one uh, where if you move that water from one one place to the next, you might introduce zebra mussels. Um, make sure you're pulling, you know, weeds and stuff off your trailer and washing any mud and organic material off of your boat or off of your boots if you're wading somewhere in a stream. Um, it's and, all important stuff. And I know we do have some for uh, wading anglers, um, with our trout streams, we do have some cleaning stations even, and it can be passed on gear. So we, we w- really want to encourage people. I'll repeat it with you. <laughs> yep, yep. That's, uh, you know, we, we try to provide the tools where possible. It can, be, it can be difficult here in Tennessee. We've got so many access points and so many boat ramps and that that, uh, you know, it's not always feasible to think that there's going to be a station everywhere you go. But mm. some of those real priority locations, we definitely try to, uh, make sure that some of that equipment is available. So. And then, I mean, you talk about the wash stations and the efforts. I mean, the, uh, those educational components, that's that's what we love to do. We like to educate. That's why we're here today and right. yeah. trying to get that information out. Uh, that's what, you know, all our employees are doing, whether it's the biologist or the, you know, the communicator. We're trying to get that message out there and uh, talk about that. So that's why we're here today. 
Absolutely, and, and uh, you know, our, our regional staff are also really good at, uh, they've kind of incorporated what we've called ANS Watch into mm. into the sampling, so they're out there on, the, on their resources regularly, they're, you know, when they're doing their standard sampling or their monitoring, they're watching for for invasive species as well so, so that's that we can be become part of that biological right, data then we oh, can great. we can monitor and hopefully you know it, catch something early if if something is introduced and maybe be able to do something about it because these things can be very difficult to uh reverse once yeah. they've been mm. almost impossible in most situations mm. to reverse once they've been introduced yeah that's scary yep. <laughs> well the reason we're here today alabama bass um you know uh let's Get some background on on them, their native range, you know, and then start into you know how they get here, why we don't want them. That yeah, kind of thing. It's, it's kind of a long but still short story. Really, it's a short history in Tennessee. Uh, they're native to the Mobile River Basin, so it incorporates the majority of Alabama, also portions of Georgia, and a tiny bit in Tennessee in the southeastern portion called the Conestoga River. Okay, but they're not native to any Tennessee reservoir or small lake or whatever. So the first place that they were observed from TWRA personnel and probably anybody was in 2001 at Parks when we collected two fish in our spring mm -hmm. black bass electrofishing survey. And we knew they were spotted bass looking and we knew that we had not previously collected spotted bass in Parksville. So as genetic tests allowed, uh, through through advancements in technology, we determined that they were pure Alabama bass, but it was still totally a new phenomenon. We didn't really know what it meant, mm. and looking at it 20 years later, mm. the ramifications are huge, and not just in Tennessee, but in several other states as they're marching up the eastern seaboard, basically, and really destroying a lot of the black bass populations there. This is one so. time. If you're an Alabama fan, this is one time you don't want to hear Roll Tide. <laughs> well, and that's pretty good. I mean, that's, I didn't know, I didn't think about this, but it's affecting not just Tennessee. Oh, it's no. moving and affecting a lot. Much broader. You know, more have, states, uh, yeah. Actually, Cole and I both have been uh, participants in a local uh, or a recent scientific paper outlining the, the destruction that they've done and seeing it in Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, and other places and uh, totally... Uh, disrupting some native populations there is really eye-opening and their march hasn't stopped mm. you know it continues northward so Park um, Parksville here in Tennessee but where yes. else uh, so we have conducted other genetic tests and so we know in the Tennessee River and I'll speak for region 3 uh, that they've shown up in a big way there uh, and and watch bar is on our radar because it had been rumored that there had been some stock there of course illegally it's mm -hmm. illegal to stock uh, fish into any public waters in Tennessee yeah uh, and midsection of the reservoir called Watch Creek and several years ago as we were collecting fish there it looked like that's what was showing up in our surveys and we've genetically tested those now and we know that their presence is there. Mm. And in our most recent surveys this spring, we've seen that their distribution within that reservoir has expanded and also a lot more hybridization going on. And I can talk more about that, but that's one of the greatest consequences that mm. they pose to some of our fisheries. Yeah, that word hybridization. Mm -hmm. um, let's come back to that. Sure. Um, but but let's turn to how, how do they compare to black bass then? I mean, what's the big deal? That's, that's the hardest concept to get 
uh, portrayed to a fisherman and I often say it's like a it's like a wolf in sheep's clothing because when a fisherman sees it and, and they look really similar to our spotted bass mm -hmm. they were only pulled out of the spotted bass uh, basically lineage there and put into their own species in 2008 so they look that much alike they're really hard to identify between the two um, but when they get into these systems, they can displace the largemouth bass populations that are there, and they can hybridize with our native smallmouth and spotted bass and really can destroy that population over time. And even before that, the integrity of those species that we have really come to depend on in our state, especially our smallmouth bass, mm -hmm. are jeopardized. So that, that hybridization, talk yes. about that then. Let's so. The overlap between the Alabama bass and the spotted bass obviously are very similar in their habitat preference, in their prey selection, and also their uh, spawning preferences, even the water temperatures. So it's going to put them in the same place at the same time, hmm. uh, in a reservoir system, river system, whatever. Smallmouth bass, too, they have an overlap with their spawning. They, they start a little bit before the spotted bass and the Alabama bass, but there's still an overlap there. So there's a great opportunity for hybridization mm -hmm. uh, in the nesting between the species. And I've actually observed this as we're out electrofishing, and we see smallmouth and Alabama bass nesting together. Wow. So that's going to create that hybrid, which is an inferior product for sure. And over mm -hmm. time, with the repetition of that, all of a sudden you don't have that pure smallmouth strain anymore. Wow. Mm -hmm. And not to talk about how they outcompete. So through research, it's uh, been determined that a lot of times that an invasive species is put into a new system, they really outcompete those native species there. And that's exactly what they're doing. But they're doing it in a very quick way. Some reservoirs, uh, like Lake Norman in North Carolina, they have, which is comparable to the size of some of our large reservoirs on the Tennessee River, mm. in 10 years, they've totally displaced the largemouth bass there. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And it, yeah. and it doesn't take a whole lot to start either. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it can be just a, a handful of fish and, you know, yeah. introduced into the wrong spot and you're in trouble. Gotcha. So there's a big impact, not just for anglers that are out there mm -hmm. uh, going after nice largemouth, but there's an economic impact oh, that's and huge. implications. I think, Mimi, that's probably the biggest attention getter for me. Let's say Del Hollow, which is the crown jewel for Tennessee for smallmouth bass. It's had the world record since 1955. World record. <laughs> yes, and so we know through our krill surveys that people are coming from all across the state and all across the nation to fish Del Hollow for smallmouth bass. Yeah. If Alabama bass get in there, and like Cole said, it, it wouldn't take a lot. We could see the demise of that population. There's some estimates in way less than 20 years that it could really compromise that whole system. Hmm. And the economic effect would be in the millions of dollars for marina owners, you know, uh, all kind of boating, wow. anything tied into that boating and recreation. Hmm. I hope bass fishermen are watching this because <laughs> it's, you think about uh, you think about having another type of bass in the water. Oh, this is mm -hmm. great, or why, why not? Why why is this okay? Yeah. You know, it's, it's it's awesome fish to catch and all this right. stuff. But just these little things that you've mentioned, which aren't little, but these things that you've mentioned just yeah. proves that it, you know listen to what we're saying or, or you know follow up on the research and 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 do your part and feel the depth of that impact yeah um for me and I, i've been with you so many times out on the water um the care that's going into it it's not taken lightly uh you know the depth of that impact um several scientists and fisheries biologists have said that this is probably the greatest threat to the black bass fisheries since the early 1800s when they were recognized as a fish. Wow. It's that, it's that big. Wow. Yeah. 
Wow. No, no <laughs> that's, pressure. That's impactful. Huh? <laughs> well, I don't know if we've touched on it yet, but you've mentioned how similar they look. Mm -hmm. So can you describe the differences and so people listening uh, can know yeah. that? They're not easy, are they, Cole? <laughs> no, so no, no. we've got some pictures uh, on our website, and, and it shows the illustrations, there, you know, photographs of the two different species. Actually shows all of our black bass, but... If you had a spotted bass and an Alabama bass and you were looking at them, to an untrained eye, it would really be hard to tell that you had two different fish. Uh, for us that have looked at a lot of them, and we know those in Parksville are pure Alabamas because of our genetic test, we've had some training, visual training there. Mm -hmm. um, there's a few slight differences, but not anything you would want to bet on every time. <laughs> uh, they have some more uh, patching above the, the lateral line and up. Um, but... As the spotted bass and Alabama bass, they both have the tooth patch. Their dorsal fin arrangement is the same. Mm. Uh, Alabama bass, a lot of time around the tail, called the peduncle area, it's more elongated. Um, but they're very similar. And that's, that's a real problem with, you know, trying to get fishermen educated on this is like it's not identifiable. Mm. And a lot of the professionals have trouble as well. Uh, so that's why we lean on genetic tests a lot to determine what we really have out there. So what if someone's um, on Parksville, say, or somewhere, and they think they have one? Mm -hmm. In Parksville, I would say pretty much 100% it is. Okay. Uh, because uh, there's not, there, there was a very small residual amount of smallmouth there when they were put in. It was basically dominated by largemouth bass, hmm. which... Now, Alabama bass for the last several years have been the dominant species there. They displaced it in about eight years. Um, so now That's if they crazy. get it. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, if they're on the Tennessee River, um, it's going to be tough. You know, it's uh, would basically we, treat it like a spotted bass, you okay. know. Right. We, we really yeah. don't have a, a great way to be able to distinguish no. even by a, a picture or visual characteristics that, um, you know, a fish would be an Alabama bass versus a spotted bass. So... Um, you know, we're, we're looking at doing some more work here across the state to get a, a, a better handle on um, some baseline genetic information for our bass populations. And um, that, that should help us have a better idea where we might have Alabama bass influence already. Um, but, you know, this, I think, ultimately goes back to the point uh, that, that Mike emphasized. It's illegal to stock fish into public waters. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, you know, don't go moving these fish around and, and you won't be spreading the problem. That's right. So Great advice. And um, just to come back to it, we get a lot of photos sent to us, but that's not going to be helpful in this case. Not really. It's going to be that biological data that you all are out there conducting. Yes. So, so walk us through what that year looks like or uh, what that cycle looks like for that biological data collection. It, it, that's really evolving in itself. So recently on several of our reservoirs uh, on our Cumberland River system, we went out and captured spotted bass in those reservoirs. Center Hill has uh, been well known for its spotted bass population through the years and used to have the state record. Uh, and we got baseline data from those and those, those still showed up to be our native spotted bass, uh, you know, fish. In our Tennessee River system, it's just kind of following uh, the amount of that genetic influence from Alabama bass into those systems, the amount of hybrids we have. So when we're out collecting fish, um, this year on Watts Bar, 
uh, the crew was out collecting in a targeted smallmouth bass survey. Uh, so we took fin clips, we'll send those off, and anything that looked like a spotted bass, and we'll be able to see in those smallmouth, are they still truly pure, Has that, or is that a degrading over time, and the amount of hybrids we have, or pure Alabama slash spotted bass in that. So, uh, and the manager uh, took pictures of each one of those so we can go back and tie it to that genetic ID, wow. uh, which will be a really neat thing to have. Uh, and it's not one of the questions we plan, but are you seeing um, concern from marinas? Are you seeing concern from some of those professional angling groups? Um, I, I think it's uh, early on, and Cole might can speak to what he sees across the state, but um, I, it, we're still having a challenge getting anglers to accept uh, that they're a bad thing, mm -hmm. uh, especially on a reservoir like Parksville, which historically had really poor fishing, and now they've they've since they've been introduced, you know, they've provided a fishery for a lot of folks, and they're excited about that. Mm -hmm. The ramifications, though, that is you know that they can cause. I think the greatest message we can get out today, and maybe getting ahead of you, but is to prevent from getting into a Dale Hollow or a Center Hill, which would be catastrophic. Mm -hmm. So they don't have to worry about the ID. They just need to know, don't take them there because of mm -hmm. there's no lock system on the dam, so they can't get there naturally. They're going to have to be carried there. Mm -hmm. So if we can prevent that, um, yeah, would be great. Well, and then I think, too, and we're going to run out of time if we don't jump to it, but <laughs> we stock Florida bass. What's the difference? I mean, why can't we have Florida, not Alabama? That's a good question. And we've touched on a lot of this, but just <laughs> hit that home real quick. For so with um, largemouth bass, basically two subspecies. You have the northern and the Florida, uh, which make that up, which means they're very similar. I would start by saying that any fish that TWRA stocks, there's a lot of biological assessment that goes into that. Tons. Yeah. Look at the risk, uh, you know, the introduction, public acceptance, you know, of course, our own goals and objectives. Uh, and it was that way with the Florida bass. Um, so they were put into Chickamauga, uh, and they've hybridized with the northern strain there. The, the other thing I would say about it, in the 1980s, there was a survey done across the state of Tennessee on largemouth bass populations in reservoirs. And almost all of those fish, all those systems showed up with a, a Florida influence. Another neat thing, too, is the range of the Florida bass and the northern bass overlap close to where like Chickamauga is Tennessee which is called an integrate zone so you could have an overlap there which means it's more natural for both of those to coexist mm. and there's no documentation that we have in the state or anywhere else of like Florida bass being invasive you know to other black bass they're really homogenous you know in there with a with a northern strain yeah, one thing that you've taught me through the years is that that's an enclosed ecosystem. Mm -hmm. It's not like a bird that might make it a long distance. It, it really is going to be human impact right. at this point. Yeah, exactly. So so just to, to touch base on that, what's the best defense against it? Education <laughs> and prevention. Clean, right. drain, and drive. <laughs> and don't move fish. Yes. <laughs> that's it. Yep. I like that. Clean, drain, drive. Don't move fish. Don't stock fish and other waters exactly. it's illegal we've said exactly. that uh, but yeah this is this is great information i've learned a lot today i know now why we don't want alabama bass and <laughs> thank you i appreciate you guys taking time out Shoot, yes. thank you for thank the you. opportunity yeah yeah mimi yeah. thanks for pulling this together my pleasure thanks for being here <laughs> thank you um there's more like this uh, on our website. Go to tnwildlife.org. Uh, check out those pictures. Uh, we'll direct uh, direct a link there so you can check that out as well. If you uh, if you're watching the show, click go down in the in the comments and find the link. But um, yeah, get out there and educate yourself. And, Absolutely. Uh, 
and uh, have fun on Tennessee waters. So That's it. Go out there and fish, have fun. <laughs> That's the big thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this is Tennessee Wildcast. Uh, we appreciate you guys. If you want to find this show, it's on Facebook, it's Instagram, it's on uh, YouTube. You can follow us on uh, on your favorite podcasting platform, listen to us, and then we're on 23 radio stations across the state. So get out there and find it, watch us, listen to us, and uh, keep coming back. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. Stay connected with TWRA by visiting our website at tnwildlife.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Hey, it's all about Tennessee wildlife. It's what we do. Tennessee Wildcast will be on the air again next week. We'll see you then.